the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So many times we think we're getting away with things. It's like, guess what? You're not getting away with anything. You can't get away from God. He sees everything. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Well, we're going to look in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I entitled this message, A Real Promise. What is a promise? Well, according to the dictionary, a promise is a pledge. It's a vow to do something. It's an oath. You could call it an agreement, but it is a word of honor to the person who makes the promise. And it just basically says that we're going to do as we said we would do. Now, we often will promise to do things, you know, and why not? Why not promise things? It's easy to make a promise. All we have to do is just vocalize a few words and just like that, we promise We promise to commit to our spouse on our wedding day as we say, you know, our our love will never end. We commit vows on that day for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer until death do us part. Yet there are many who forget those promises. They forget those vows. Uh, Our children heard us make vows And sometimes we break them in front of our children. Like Molly, age eight, says, my daddy promised to pick up his clothes and his shoes from around the house. I don't think he's ever remembered his promise. (laughs) Anyway, yes, making a promise is the easy part. It's easy to make a promise. It's keeping the promise. That's the hard part. It was Napoleon Bonaparte that said this quote, the best way to keep one's word is to not give it, end quote. Well, I guess that's one way of looking at it. Yes, better to not make a promise than to make a promise that you have no desire to keep. I'm sure that every one of us here today has had promises broken to us, hopes and dreams that were denied by someone forgetting their promise to us. But having to be fair here, if we were all honest, we're also guilty. Every single one of us are guilty of breaking promises to others. Not because we wanted to or we maliciously wanted to, but simply because it just worked out that way. Sometimes things work out where you can't keep a promise. Just like when we hear politicians make promises, and oh my goodness, as of late, Do you believe anything that ever comes out of a politician's mouth? I mean, they say that they'll fix problems that our country is facing, but the reality is they do very little. And then, of course, they just blame it on the other party. Well, it's the other party's fault. 
In this day and age of broken promises, what are you and me to do? Who can we actually trust anymore? First, understand that God is a God of exacting details. The Gospel of Luke was written with a a purpose and a mission to bring an account of the life of Jesus to a Gentile high official named Theophilus. Now, Luke, the writer of Luke, provided the highest possible level of accuracy concerning who Jesus really was and what Jesus did while he was here on earth, meaning that Luke had a plan. He instituted a criteria and he laid out four steps. First, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke was going to compile an account of what happened. I'm going to gather everything that happened here. Second, in verse 2, Luke said that he was going to compile that data from eyewitnesses alone. Like, if you didn't see what happened, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the people that were there and eyewitnesses that actually saw the very events about the birth of Jesus, along with all that Jesus did, again, with their own eyes. Luke was a physician, so he was used to exacting details. Third, in verse 3, Luke investigated everything carefully himself. He didn't want secondhand information. So he recorded those events, again, from the eyewitnesses, and he recorded them in consecutive order. Then fourth, in verse 4, Luke brought them to Theophilus that he might know the exact truth, he said. Yes, God is a God of details. And that's why we can trust what is written in the Bible, because the Bible is a book of details recorded for us under the inspiration of God himself. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired. That word inspired comes from a Greek word that literally means God breathe. He says the scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, so that the man of God or the woman of God, you know, could be adequate equipped for every good deed. Yes, understand the Bible is inspired. It is profitable because it is right. It brings reproof because, well, we're not right. It brings correction to get us right, and it brings instruction to keep us right. This is why God instructs us to be diligent to work after studying his word. Our title today is A Real Promise. Yes, many will break promises today. Sometimes it's on purpose because those who made the promise never intended on keeping the promise in the first place while others are broken because, well, circumstances that we had no control over took over. But yet understand, God's promises are never broken. If God makes a promise, it is never, ever broken. That's what he does in his word. When God says something, it's going to happen. It will happen, for God has made many promises for us 
in his word. So he's like used to promises and he's used to keeping his promises. The Bible to the true Christian is literally a treasure chest of promises for you and me. So when you're reading a promise, it's like, if you're a true Christian, it's like, oh my goodness, that promise is therefore for me. It was Corrie ten Boone, a woman whose family helped Jews escape in World War II, yet they were caught by the Nazis and thrown into a concentration camp alongside the Jews, uh, where both her father and her sister died. But through a clerical error, Corey was released. And she said this, quote, let God's promises shine on your problems. This is a woman that had a lot of problems in her life, but yet God delivered her and kept promises to her. Yes, we should all allow the promises of God to shine on our own problems. Well, know this, God has a promise for you in the midst of your possible dire circumstances. The Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight, he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Wow. That's a pretty good promise, but it's only to those who truly know him. Yes, it's a promise to every true Christian. And the reason that I say true Christian is this. Many people today would fall under the what the Barnapol says when they say 78% of Americans claim to be Christians. Really? 80, almost 80%? Uh, where are they at? Because I'm not thinking 80% of our country are true Christians by any stretch of the imagination. But let me ask you specifically, since you're here today, maybe you consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. Well, let me ask you a few things here. Do you believe that the Bible and everything in it is the infallible word of God? That it never, ever changes? That's a question. Do you accept it in its entirety, not just the parts of it that you like or you agree with? Because there's a whole new group of people that call themselves Christians. They call themselves progressive Christians. And a progressive Christian is, well, things change with time. Well, you know, it's like, well, maybe that was sin before, but it's not sin today. Well, I have people in that lifestyle, and they're good people, so certainly God couldn't not love them. Certainly that sin that used to be sin isn't sin anymore. It's like, just know that God never changes. So what was sin 3,500 years ago is still sin today. So you can't be, quote, a progressive Christian because God never changes in fact, if you read the last couple of verses of the Bible, just go to the end of the book, the last book, Revelation, the last chapter, and the last few verses, God says that he never changes. He says, and if anyone takes anything out of my word, I will take their name out of the book of life in heaven. And if you add anything to my word, I will add the plagues that are in this book to your life. It's like, whoa, now that's a pretty harsh warning, but yet progressive Christians find it easy to, well, we don't believe that anymore. We don't believe that, but God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love, but he's also a God of radical judgment for those who disobey his word. So you have to have the whole thing. In fact, God's love is so great. And the reason that we embrace his love being so great is why? Because 
we understand the judgment that follows for those that don't. So you have to understand, yes, the good news is good news only because the bad news is bad, so, so bad. And that's why we embrace God's love and mercy and his grace. But he never changes. Don't ever think that he changes. But let me ask you some more questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? A young woman that never had any intimacy with any man before Jesus was born. Do you believe that he lived? Do you believe that he physically died on a cross? Do you believe that he was physically buried in a grave? Do you believe that he physically, his physical body, after being dead for three days, rose again from the dead? Have you come to him on his terms, not your terms? The Bible says that we've all sinned. Have you acknowledged that you have sinned before God? Have you accepted the responsibility for your sin? Yes, I sinned. It wasn't just because of the way I raised. It wasn't because of this or that. No, I have sinned. I have done what's wrong. Sin means missing the mark of perfection. We have all done that many, many times. And if you don't think you have, I don't think you have any concept of what right and wrong is. Have you come to know him and repented of that sin? Meaning you're willing to turn away from that sin. Have you confessed to God those things that you're guilty of? Have you asked Jesus Christ to not only forgive you, but that he would be your Lord, your God, and your Savior? Wow, see, these are like intense questions, but see, every true Christian says yes to every single one of those. Yes, I believe every aspect of everything. So I wonder if you've done that, if you've really made Jesus Christ your Lord and not just a religious figure in your life. See, when the, when the Barnabas says 78% claim to be Christians, see, they just made Jesus a religious figure in their life, but they are not what the Bible would say, born again. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you have, then know this. If you've done all those things and you've received Christ in your heart and you are born again, then get this. All the promises of God are yours in his word. And if you've not done that, then all of his promises are simply not yours. But understand, God loves each and every person on the planet, and he wants us to come into that relationship with him. That's his desire. And before uh, this service is over, if you haven't done that, you'll have an opportunity to make that obvious choice into your life and have the promises of God come to you so that his promises will be real to you. But let's not forget the promises that God made when he, uh, you know, when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, because that's where his promises really started. Because that sin, Adam and Eve first eating of the forbidden fruit, that caused a separation between God and man. And God promised to send a way for man to be able to come back, for men and women to be able to come back into a relationship with God. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's read an incredible account of a young girl named Mary as we consider our first promise of fulfilled promise. So let's read together in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to pick up. In verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin, a young maiden that has never had sexual intimacy with a man, to a young virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said, this is the angel, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled, as you could imagine. Oh my goodness, what is this? At this statement, and kept pondering what kind of a salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, because I'm sure she was petrified. (laughs) Okay, it's like, whoa, who are you? Okay, uh, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, verse 32. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, talking about the mother of John the Baptist, who would be the pre-runner for Jesus. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Boy, if you ever wondered why Mary was chosen to be the bearer of the Savior of the world, it was that last sentence. Your will be done. Whatever you say, be it as unto me. Boy, if we could only learn what Mary knew and to be that faithful to say, well, Lord, your will be done. It sounds crazy. I don't even understand what's going on here, but whatever you say. Wow, this is one of the most incredible miracles of all time. I mean, think about it. This is a real promise that was kept, a promise from so far back in time, all the way back to the beginning of time, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It was right after Adam and Eve ate again of the forbidden fruit that God came down in the cool of the day to hang out with his prized possession, this first man and the first woman. And that's when Adam and Eve were hiding in the bushes. It's like God came down, Adam, where are you? As if God didn't know where they are at, hiding in the woolly bushes. It's like, oh, I'm over here. It's like, well, why are you hiding? Well, uh, I'm naked. Uh, Well, who told you you were naked? Uh, It's the woman you gave me. She gave me of the fruit you told us not to eat. (laughs) The first time of throwing a wife under the bus happened right there. (laughs) Okay. But, uh, But again, you know, God was like, you know, I mean, how sad here. 
you know, that they were hiding. I mean, usually when God came to visit, because he said he would come down in the cool of the day, that means that God must have came down every day to hang out. I'm sure Adam and Eve would come running up to him. Maybe Adam would ask new questions every time God came down to hang out. Like, God, how in the world did you make the caterpillar able to turn into a flying butterfly? That is spectacular. It's awesome. But unfortunately, that was not the case on this particular day. This time, Adam and Eve are hiding in shame. And much has changed now on this day, you know? And, you know, notice how the same thing happens to us when we sin. It brings forth guilt. It brings forth shame. Why? Because the Bible says that God has given us all a conscience inside that we know right from on instinctively. Like you don't have to read in the Bible, thou shall not steal. It's like instinctively written on the fleshly tablets of our heart. We know it. And because God has given us that conscience inside, when we do something wrong, we feel guilt and we feel shame. Now, granted, if you keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, well, you callous your heart and you no longer feel guilt and shame. In fact, I might just uh, say right now, if you know that something that you're doing is wrong, you're stealing from your employer, you're doing something that's wrong, and it's like you don't feel bad about it anymore, you should get on your face before God and say, oh God, I no longer feel guilty about the things that I used to feel guilty about. It's like I have hardened my heart. I've calloused my heart. How sad that is if you don't feel guilt over the things that you once felt guilty over. This was all new, by the way, for Adam and Eve. They have never experienced the emotion and the feeling of guilt and shame and that separation. And in Genesis chapter 3, we find them hiding in the bushes. Hiding. You know, but just like us, they could not escape the all-seeing eyes of God. You know, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 16, 17, God speaking, he says, For my eyes are on all your ways. They're not hidden from my face. Neither is your iniquity concealed from my eyes. So many times we think we're getting away with things. It's like, guess what? You're not getting away with anything. You can't get away from God. It's like he sees everything. When I came to that realization at 18 years old that everything I had been doing in secret that my best friend didn't know, my parents didn't know about, when I realized that God knew everything, I'm like, I'm in deep trouble. Because you're thinking you're getting away with it. But you will never get away with it with God. You know, you realize it's like you don't get away with anything. And that's when God singled out the one who deceived Eve. As you know, Satan deceived Eve into eating the forbidden fruit first. And then she gave it to her husband, Adam. So now God singles out Satan here. And it's like, of course, Satan, the devil. And God said to the devil, he said, because you have done this, you are cursed. And he went on to say this. Now, here's the original promise that God was going to reconcile humanity back to himself. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, it says, God speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head. Who? The one that's going to come out of the womb of the woman. And he's going to bruise your head and you will bruise him on the heel. That word bruise in the original Hebrew language means he is going to crush your head. 
And he will crush Jesus' heel, which he did by brutally beating him to a pulp on the cross and nailing him to the cross. But of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. As you know, he rose again from the dead. But this again is the first sign that God was planning a huge miracle. Notice God said, there's going to be enmity. There is going to be a hatred, a total hostility between Satan and the woman because God was going to use the woman who Satan got in to cause humanity to fall away from God. So God is going to use the woman, the one who Satan deceived to eat the forbidden fruit to bring redemption to fallen humanity. God said to Satan, you deceive the woman. Then Eve gave it to her husband, of course, like we just said, and he ate it also. And since they were the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, since they were the first two, they were now stained with sin, which caused their DNA inside of both of them to be stained with sin. Therefore, the entire human race now Our DNA is stained with sin. That's why everyone has sinned. There is no one that has not sinned. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.